Remainders. I'm your host, Darren Burrell. And I'm your co-host, Patrick McIntyre. We will explore the stories from our conscious collection of music, books, and film. The ones that have shaped our lives. Join us as we take a closer look at what remains. Hello and welcome to Remainders. Today I am not joined by my co-host Patrick McIntyre. We've decided in between season one and season two that we would do individual mini episodes for you so that there's not too much downtime in between seasons. We really want to explore some really good subjects to do for season two. And so we're researching those and putting them together right now. But like I said, in the meantime, we'd like to just talk with you about a few other things that we're consuming that maybe don't really have a place for a full episode, but we're able to do on our own um, to continue moving along as we are putting season two together. So today I'd like to talk about a book that I've read called Dear Carrie by Diane Cannon. I have to start out by saying that I got to be completely truthful. I picked up this book to get an inside look at Cary Grant, one of Hollywood's most iconic and legendary leading men. But I really got so much more. The man is so unforgettable that you can hear his voice literally in every one of the quotations throughout the book. Many people know a lot about Cary Grant, and it wasn't like I was going to pick it up and find some new revelation about him, but I was hoping to pick it up and and at least get some insight into what Diane thought of the man while they were married. Diane had a child, Jennifer, with Cary Grant. It's Cary Grant's only offspring. This is really a time capsule of how the world used to work for men and women and what happens to them before, during, and after the love affair. This love affair just happens to take place between two well-known and famous actors. It's important to note that this book was written in 2011. That's a little under a decade before the Me Too movement brought awareness and exposure of injustices happening in the workplace and beyond. The Me Too movement hadn't started yet, so none of these writings were influenced by it, at least in terms of the research I've done. The book starts out with what most readers signed up for right away, Diane being courted by Cary Grant. She doesn't leave much ramp-up time to get to what we're all waiting to hear about. She does, though, however, give some great insight into what it was like for her before Cary Grant came calling. And yes, he courted her after seeing her show, Malibu Run. In that show, Diane mostly wore a bikini. He was over 33 years older than her and three years older than her father. At first, she believed he was interested in placing her in a movie. A stamp of approval would have went a long way for an aspiring actress back then, especially from Cary Grant. And they met in a formal way in his office on the studio lot. They spent over three hours discussing Diane, basically. Cary didn't divulge much about himself, but he was very interested in Diane's life, and the persistent calls about lunch led on that Cary Grant was interested in more than Diane Cannon's 
movie career. Later in the book, we find out that Carrie was aware of his age and how the audience would perceive him if his character in the film Charade were to be the one pursuing Audrey Hepburn and not the other way around. Audrey was 25 years his junior at the time of filming. He was aware of how Cary Grant the public figure needed to be perceived. Very aware. Even if Archibald Leach, which was his name before Cary Grant, was exempt from that behavior and could act differently behind closed doors. An interesting case of life imitating art, as it were. Here he is saying that he didn't want to be perceived in a negative way. This older man chasing a younger girl, yet he was doing exactly that. Eventually the inevitable happens and the two fall in love. Diane finds herself horseback riding in Palm Springs at Carrie's Getaway and having private dinners all around Los Angeles, most notably at Hoi Ping discussing God and LSD, and at Diane's apartment ordering and offering La Scala fried chicken disguised as her own. Carrie remarked on the occasion, Really, Diane, you're one of the rare actresses in Hollywood that can cook. During the courtship, he was able to turn on the charm of Cary Grant, the charm we all know so well from his movies. Any issue with his difficult upbringing as Archibald Leach were not on display at first. At one point before they're married, he says that he originally was interested in Diane by a sense of her being untamed and free, even saying, Diane... I would never want to see a part of you tamed. Literally the biggest 360 about face to come, as we find out in a later chapter. As they approached marriage, those issues began to unfold more and more, including some really personal problems stemming from Carrie's understanding that his mother had been deceased for years after she disappeared on him as a boy. Later on, he finds out that this was a lie, that she had been banished to a mental health facility during that time. He didn't find out the truth until years later when he was already a well-known and established popular lead actor. He, of course, blamed himself for not being there all of his life for his mother, and his father was an alcoholic who was never around either, which only added insult to injury. It would later be his father who would call Carrie to alert him that his mother was still alive, only to die a couple years later. Aristotle Onassis once said to Diane, it is a sad fact of life that men who have difficult relationships with their mothers carry it over to the other women they love. Diane makes it clear that this is at the center of what plagued Carrie all of his life. At one point, they break up because Carrie decides to give away Diane to playwright Clifford Odets after she ghosts Carrie for a nightcap after a who's who of Los Angeles elite. Before their marriage and during... Carrie was convinced Diane needed to try LSD to truly understand the truth, as he put it, to find the answers. You heard that right. Carrie had experimented with LSD over a hundred times in his lifetime. It had worked for him, and he credited it to helping his life, but she was definitely not experiencing it the same way, which led to a lot of inner turmoil between the two of them. The LSD trips later contributed to Diane's own mental health breakdown and admittance into a mental health ward, just like Carrie's mom, Elsie. When the couple eventually wed, there was an immediate change in Carrie. His criticism of Diane came out of the woodwork, mostly about her appearance now that she was Mrs. Carrie Grant. When the two had their daughter, Jennifer, Carrie had Diane's beloved dog, Bangs, given away to another home. 
This was on the same day that she came home from the hospital. This is a dog the reader comes to love almost as much as Diane throughout the book until this point, so it's devastating, to say the least. Diane was to give up her career for the marriage. Something she doesn't seem to mind now that she's become a full-time mother, but it is for sure a product of the time and the roles men and women were supposed to play during those times. The marriage only got more strained, with Carrie sending Diane off to therapy in New York, followed by the eventual full-scale movie production that was their divorce. High-priced lawyers and gossip rags pinning all the blame on Diane. This with the help of drugs and alcohol, eventually got the best of her as she was admitted into a mental institution. Persistence and determination and love helped Diane find her way back to herself with the help of a trusted spiritual guide named Lily. This book is very interesting in a lot of ways that it talks about men and women and sort of the changes that happen once they become married, but especially in the time period that they were living in. The freedoms that we take for granted these days were not the norm back then. So some things that remain for me, and I wanted to just start off to talk about. One quote that isn't in the book that I read while doing research on this book is from the LA Times, and it it was around the time that Carrie's wife before Diane, Betsy Drake, had passed away. Betsy had this to say about being married to Carrie Grant. All the women in my generation were brought up to believe that husbands' careers and desires came first in every sense. I drank white wine because Carrie liked white wine, and I ate well-done roast beef even though I hated well-done meat. So, you know, a lot of this book focuses on Diane's inner thoughts. Is she the crazy one? Was she doing something wrong? Was it her fault? Uh, She was verbally abused a great deal in their relationship, which made her question so much of who she was as a person. She didn't even have acting anymore. From an early age, Diane was being groomed from the moment she was discovered by Jack Hopkins, who then introduced her to producer Jerry Wald, who quickly changes her name and suggests Diane get a nose job if she'd like to begin her acting career. So really, Diane is in this scenario where men are constantly talking about changes that need to happen in her life when she was perfectly happy at the beginning of this book before she met any of them. (laughs) I mean, that's the truth. There's something about being a character that I took out of this book. The character of Cary Grant, which was so on public display, putting on a good show for people. For Cary Grant, it was his audience. It was his adoring fans. And he had to act a certain way. His clothes had to be a certain way. Uh, He had to be witty and on all the time. But sometimes you can be the most marvelous, dashing, basically Cary Grant in the world and treat the ones closest to you very poorly. Maybe that's because the people closest to us are the only ones we feel we can reveal what's really inside to. I certainly have done that in my life. I think that it's something that we all do, and sometimes that stuff isn't pretty. It's certainly something a movie star doesn't want his adoring fans to see. So the people closest to him, the people closest to Cary Grant, have to deal with the pain and suffering because they are the only ones who, who really can't leave him, whether it's because he's too powerful or just because they love him too much. It's hard to leave somebody. And uh, I, I feel like that's the case here with Cary Grant. He had so much inner turmoil and pain in his, in his upbringing 
that would come out to the people closest to him and uh, was also at the crux of him doing LSD to try to find some peace. There's a couple other takeaways here that aren't so deep, uh, such as this quote, which I loved from Cary Grant. People should notice you first. And this quote is about your appearance. Cary Grant was always known for being so well put together. And I really love this. People should notice you first, then the clothes. The best clothes are always understated. Good clothes never call attention to themselves. I just really love that. Let yourself shine and let those clothes support you. That's what it means to me anyway. I'm not going to go into too much detail because I want you to read the book, of course. But there is a scene where Diane has to pee on Carrie's leg. And so I'm not going to get into that. But I just needed to say that uh, you have to pick up the book to find out the full story on that. And um, additionally, you'll have to pick up the, the book to find the the great joy that is reading their dinner party at Alfred Hitchcock's. Uh, it was great fun to read chapter 20 when Diane talks about attending a Halloween party at Alfred Hitchcock's. Uh, Hitch welcoming them in with the quote, I hope that you'll forgive me, Carrie. We're fresh out of LSD. I hope a martini will suffice. Which just had me laughing so hard, uh, thinking about Alfred Hitchcock opening up the <laughs> the door and making fun of Carrie for you know the much publicized use of LSD. And at that party, Jimmy Stewart was there. I'd say more wonderful things about the story, but I think uh, this story alone is worth picking up the book so you can read that chapter. I'd like to end this episode with this quote from Diane, which I think really sums up how I feel. Was Carrie Grant? a perfect man, not even close, especially if we are to believe everything that is in this book from Diane Cannon's perspective. Cary Grant was definitely flawed, a product of the system that he was brought up in and the times that he was living in. I think that this was such a wonderful thing for Diane to write in her Dear Cary note, and it goes like this. You're as beloved now as you ever were, and rightly so. You helped generations to laugh, cry, and cheer as we muddled our way through this thing called life. And along the way, you made grace, charm, and wit seem attainable. And even though Elsie and Elias weren't there for you as a child, you have millions of people who would adopt you on the spot. Diane's letter to Carrie basically coming to acceptance of their relationship and all the years that they spent together and reflecting on the good times that they had and acknowledging Carrie for the great man that he was, despite all of his flaws and despite all of the hardships that they had in their life together. And I thought that was beautiful and almost made it okay for me to read through this book about Cary Grant, who I love very much as an actor, to understand that I can still love him, even though, you know, he may have been sometimes not the greatest man to his wives or the way he lived behind closed doors. Um, it's such a big thing to think about these days, especially in Hollywood and, and people misbehaving and behaving poorly. So I liked this book a lot for that and for that insight and for the things that remain. Thanks for listening to this first mini episode on Dear Carrie from 2011 by Diane Cannon. I do hope you'll pick up the book and check it out. And thank you for listening to Remainders. We'll see you next time. 
You have been listening to Remainders. This episode was written, narrated, and produced by Darren Varell and Patrick McIntyre. Original music, episode art, logo, and editing by Darren Varell. Find out what else remains by visiting our website at remainderspod.com. And we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search at RemaindersPod. Please tell anyone you can about our show, and we look forward to telling you more of what remains next time. Remainders.